Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum and is titled, The Portopulmonary Hypertension Patient. Treated, but little studied. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements as well as the learning objectives. Hello. Today we're talking about one of the underrepresented groups in clinical trials in PAH, those with portal hypertension. I'm Valerie McLaughlin from the University of Michigan, and I'm joined today by my friends and colleagues, Dr. Sudhir Rajagopal from Duke, Iwana Preston from Tufts, and Rich Krasuski from Duke. Thanks so much for joining me, you guys. Sudhir, you want to start us out with a little bit of the epidemiology of patients with portal pulmonary hypertension? Sure. So portal pulmonary hypertension, essentially in patients with portal hypertension, that's a risk factor for developing pulmonary arterial hypertension, uh, which is interesting from a pathophysiology standpoint, because the flip side to that's hepatopulmonary syndrome, which is sort of the opposite, where you have a lot of dilation of the uh, uh, pulmonary uh, vasculature. But in portopulmonary hypertension, you have remodeling of these pulmonary vessels a lot like idiopathic PAH. Um, Now, you can see it in 5 to 20% of patients with cirrhosis, and it's definitely associated with significantly worse outcomes than patients who don't have it. So it's a major issue in uh, in these patients, uh, especially for the... it's evaluated for in all patients undergoing liver transplant because the development of PAH is associated with worse outcomes at the time of liver transplant. Yeah, we get a lot of referrals from our liver transplant team, echoes, high PA pressures, and then obviously that needs to be evaluated because there's lots of things in the portal hypertension population that can cause pulmonary hypertension. Rich, do you want to take us through the hemodynamics? You cast these patients all the time. There's a lot of complexities here. There are, Val. So obviously, as Sudar mentioned, the group we want to identify are the PAH patients, but probably the most common thing we see are just, you know, this high output state that you see in patients who are cirrhotic um, for a variety of different reasons, but some of which they develop, you know, AV malformations in different locations of the body. And so measuring that is incredibly important because if you're just making a diagnosis based on a mean pulmonary artery pressure, it's going to be higher if your cardiac output is significantly elevated. So I think a definition purely based on a mean pulmonary artery pressure probably, uh, you know, is not really giving it justice. And then you have to recognize that with extra volume that often occurs in these patients as well, they get ascites, they get a variety of different things. It's important to recognize that some of those people are going to have an elevated pulmonary capillary wedge pressure as well. So again, that has to be assessed and you have to differentiate the people that are truly the portal pulmonaries from the people that are volume overloaded or the people that have high output state. Yeah. And sometimes that initial calf, like, you know, their wedge pressure is high, their right atrial pressure is high. You know, you need to diurese them, reassess and and really try to figure out what they have. So Iwana, there have been very few clinical trials that have included these patients in the RCTs, but there's some safety studies with some of our PAH-specific therapies. Um, there are concerns about side effects of some of the therapies. You want to take us a little bit through some of the studies that have been done to date? Yes, I think the portal pulmonary uh, hypertension population is a population that can be treated and typically responds well to therapy if you're careful which therapy you choose, maybe because they haven't had a long time of pulmonary vascular disease, it can be treated easily. Uh, We categorize in clinical practice two subgroups. 
those folks who are candidates for liver transplant and have portopulmonary hypertension, and those can be treated and should be treated aggressively to bring the pulmonary vascular resistance down to normal so they can safely undergo uh, liver transplant. And those folks who are not liver transplant candidates, but they still have the pulmonary vascular disease, and we know that half of the uh, mortality in this population is due to heart failure, right heart failure. So they warrant treatment also. There are a couple of studies that suggest that endothelin receptor antagonists, the second generations, both macitentan and ambrisentan, which are not toxic on the liver, are well tolerated in this population, and then they bring benefit. So we do have some treatments available. In the population that has uh, needs a liver transplant, a more aggressive approach with prostacycline therapy has been uh, used in the large centers with success. Yeah, that's great. And so I, I do the same thing. I, I differentiate them into patients that are we're trying to treat to improve their symptoms. They've come to us symptomatically and, and, and what have you. And then the others that we're trying to get to the goal of liver transplantation. And being really aggressive in those patients that we're trying to get to liver transplantation is critical. Managing volume is really critical too. Does anyone else ever get worried about being so aggressive with a parenteral prostenoid in a patient with liver disease who already has a very high cardiac output? Like, how, what's you, Is your approach a little different in those patients? I, th I think in general, it's start low and go a little bit slower. You have to be careful because these patients have a low systemic vascular resistance and it's going to lower a little more when you give them something like a parenteral prostacyclin, which is frequently what we do when we're trying to get them to liver transplant relatively quickly. We're being aggressive. So um, monitoring them closely, you know, staying in touch with them. They're, a lot of these patients uh, related to their other underlying disease states may also have more side effects. And uh, I'm sure all of us have seen that, especially uh, the typical prostacyclin side effects of uh, nausea, diarrhea. They don't tolerate it as well. Um, but again, our goal is to get them to, you know, a good number. And repeating a right heart cath is critical in these patients to know that we're not going too far and that we're getting them into that range where they can be transplanted. Yeah. So the other thing about those patients are, let's say we get them to the point where they can be transplanted. And let's say we get them through transplant. What's your approach to trying to get them off the PAH specific therapies? Yes. No, no data there. Yeah, there are no data. <laughs> and some patients respond amazingly, and by uh, getting a new liver, their pulmonary vasculature remodels with the new liver. It's not clear why and how, um, but over months, some patients can be weaned off their pH therapies once they undergo the transplant. Yeah, I'd say typically for us, if someone's been on parenteral prostacyclin, we're able to wean that off pretty quickly afterwards. But like Awana mentioned, we, we tend to keep them on orals a little longer and some patients, like you said, probably around half of them are able to get off therapy completely. Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, it's an amazing and that fascinating patient population that we're all seeing more and more of. I mean, we get so many referrals from our liver transplant group. So I think the key messages are, you know, certainly the, the transplant groups are now screening very aggressively. 
they're referring patients with echoes that show high PA pressures. I think, Rich, what you talked about, the meticulous hemodynamics, the sorting out the PAH from the volume overload from the high cardiac output failure is really critical. Treating them aggressively to, to get their PA pressure down and their PVR normalized, and that's not just with PAH-specific therapy. That volume control is so, so important there, trying to get them to the point that they can be transplanted, and then closely observing them after transplant and, and gently weaning their PAH therapy is, is, you know, it's all data-free zones, really, but I think we're all learning how to do that. Final comments, anyone? It's a population underrepresented in our clinical trials, but that we've gained experience in treating them. Great. Well, Sudar, Iwana, Rich, thank you for joining me. And thank you for uh, joining us for this very interesting conversation on our patients with portopulmonary hypertension. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated, and is part of our Minute CME curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.